Welcome everybody to the Abundant Journey Podcast. We're glad you can join us today. I'm your host, Nick James, along with my co-host, Tyler Golson. We've got a special show for you today, so thanks for jumping in with us. We have Emily and Adam, and uh, they're coming to us from Texas. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, thanks for being on. So uh, we were talking a little bit before, but I know you mentioned that uh, it's it's a little bit unique weather right now in Texas with uh, s- some cold and maybe a little bit of rain. That's not a normal thing, right? No. Right. We Our daughter's been in daycare for a year, and this is only the second day it's actually rained where we had to drive her in. Yeah, we usually walk her into school. So That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. This time of year, you know, we get about seven months consistent rain, and uh, so we're used to the rain jackets and boots. Tyler, where are you at today? I am actually down in um, visiting some family. I'm down in South. Well, actually, I was in South Mississippi. Now I'm in Central Mississippi. So um, down here where the Lord lives. <laughs> Just temporarily. Absolutely. He's back in Chattanooga once I get there. <laughs> Well, uh, Emily, Adam, thanks for jumping in with us. I know that you guys are, are, are great friends of ours. We've had an opportunity to hear your story, and you know that's been one of the things we've wanted to share is uh, your humble beginnings in the workforce all the way to full-time real estate entrepreneurs, and I know we're going to uh, enjoy hearing some of that today. So so let me jump in maybe with the first question and, and, and say tell us a little bit, about, little bit about what you're doing today. Thank you, Nick. So my name is Emily Courtright, and yeah, we came from very humble beginnings. Uh, we both came from uh, normal working class parents. Uh, I remember my dad what had worked for over 30 years in waste management, a dirty job for the city of Cincinnati. And in 2009, I asked him, I said, Dad, when are you going to retire? Because he had worked for over 30 years at that point. And he said, well, the markets are still down, so I can't retire yet. And it felt so unfair to hear that come out of his mouth because he had worked so hard for so long. And just sitting there at the kitchen table and having this conversation, I remember starting to clear the dishes and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do different, but that is not going to be me. I'm not going to have my retirement years taken away like that when I'm his age. And so it really sparked a fire early on uh, in me to to be open to other options. Yeah. Yep. And so t- today, um, we invest primarily in multifamily residential real estate. Um, we started in single family um, and made the switch about five years ago. And now we're full time multifamily investors. Yeah. And Adam, would you mind would you mind giving us just a snapshot of how like, you know, where Emily just shared her part of her childhood, you know, did you grow up in a similar background, similar ideology, or was yours a little bit different? No, it was exactly very similar. Um, working class parents, my mom was a school teacher. Uh, my dad worked in manufacturing in the automotive industry. And so, yeah, I grew up in the same type of environment where, um, you know, in my, in my parents' day, you picked one employer, you were loyal to that employer, and you worked for that company for decades. 
and, uh, and and so things evolve there. You know that that's not so much a popular thing to do anymore. And and then even beyond that, uh, leaving the corporate world and going into entrepreneurship and and supporting yourself in that manner is even today even even a little bit more drastic. But uh, no, to answer your question, it was a very similar environment. Hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've shared with you guys before as a banker, uh, you know, I'm talking to folks in that similar situation. Uh, you know, a lot of people who are really hard workers, really faithful workers, have done a really good job over the years at working to provide for their families. But there, there is that disconnect, um, you know, in, in how do I actually build something? How do I make um, either build wealth or, or really you know, look to make a change for my family. So we're not just dependent on one thing. So, so, so fast forward a little bit that that's the upbringing and thanks for sharing with us. Um, so first jobs and early, early career. I mean, you didn't necessarily jump into real estate, did you? No, no, actually both of us, our early careers were both engineers by schooling. And so we worked at GE aviation, uh, doing manufacturing supply chain operations, uh, shop floor operations, so working in the plants, safety glasses, steel-toed shoes, the whole thing. That's why and the supply chains are in such shambles, because you guys left. <laughs> yeah. I know, we left. We're in real estate now. Yeah, the whole place catches on fire. <laughs> but it was, while we were working at GE, we were doing a, uh, a work rotation in Southern California, and Adam calls me one night and he says, hey, I, I heard about an investing class. And he's like, do you want to meet me after work and go to it with me? So I said, sure. So I show up at the, the hotel venue and I go to the front desk and say, where's the investing class? And the gentleman was like, well, we only have a real estate class tonight. Is that what you're talking about? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like the investing class. <laughs> and he looked at me, he goes, well, ma'am, there's only a real estate class tonight. It's on the first floor. <laughs> And so I'm like, turn around, all confused, head to the third floor, and I see Adam standing outside the conference room, and I go up to him, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, we, we can't invest in real estate. Like, I don't know, what are we doing here? And he's like, he kind of smiles, and just, just come in and listen, just listen. And I kind of doubted being there. I was like, I never, ever in my life imagined investing in real estate. My, neither of our parents invested, but we stayed and listened. And that two-hour class literally changed our lives. It started a series of education. It empowered us with knowledge of how real estate can provide for financial freedom and security in our futures. And that was really our beginnings. We, we were still working at GE at the time, full-time, and but the, it just seemed to, to happen for us where over the next year, GE sold off the businesses we were in we had to make a life change and we decided to move to Texas and I quit my job, left corporate and started real estate investing with only reading two books by then wow. on real estate investing. What were the two books? Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The Book on Flipping Houses by Jay Scott. Wow. So Adam, really quick. So you you knew it was a real estate class. I mean, you kind of, it sounds like you set Emily up. <laughs> I did. I actually did. She wouldn't have showed up had it not been for my sly techniques. Um, what, was the, what was the thing that, that led you, like you had an early evolution, it sounded like, and you're like, all right, I'm going to have to bait and switch her to, to get her to listen to real estate. What was the thing that turned the switch for you 
to go real estate's the direction we need to we need to we need to check into first yeah there there's two significant things really one uh, when I was in you know junior high high school, my father started to help me with uh, tracking expenses and budget and things like that he he built a real simple spreadsheet and said, "Hey, you know you got your hourly wage job, this is how much you make every month and then he he got the expenses into categories. Um, so that I could see, you know, how much I was saving. <clears throat> I think his goal was to make sure that it wasn't negative every month. Um, but in there, every year, he would insert a rent house. And uh, so at the end of 10 years, uh, on the little balance sheet, I had 10 rent houses. And that, um, we never really sat down and talked about the significance of that, like man to man. But the financial impact I could see in the spreadsheet. I could see like, oh wow, like these rent houses in 10 years, even though that's a long time, I make about as much as I was making in my, at that time I was working at a gas station in high school, you know? Um, so that was one. Two, when I went to work at GE I, uh, and moved to Cincinnati, I, I rented a room in a duplex. It was a th uh, two, three bedroom units adjoined as a duplex. So there are six bedrooms essentially, all young professionals. Uh, we were all rooming together. And, um, and our landlord also worked at GE. And uh, I, I knew just through conversation what he had paid for the house and what he was paying as a mortgage payment. And I, I knew what he was charging per bedroom. And on paper, I'm like, man, this guy's making like almost as much and he had two duplexes. I said, this guy's making almost as much in these two duplexes as he's making at his job. Like, <laughs> it's fascinating, you know, to me. It's like, it, like we were each paying like 1200 a month times six or times 12, right? Two duplexes. Like, wow, that's like, that's good money. And, and, and that always stuck with me. And that was probably about six or seven years before that story about the investing class. But that always stuck with me. Like, that guy is like, he's doing something right. So yeah. those were those were actual rental houses that he was like putting in your name. No, no, those were rental. Oh my, oh my father. Um, yeah, no, th those were those just placeholders. Those were just placeholders in the spreadsheet. And he said, "Hey, son, this spreadsheet looks out ten years, and every year I'm adding a rent house to show you to show you what the financial impact of that is." Wow. Wow. And that and that echoes something with somebody that I've talked with. He's been an investor for for 40, 50 years, he's in late seventies at this point. And, and that was one of the pieces of advice he gives to folks who just start out as if you just buy one a year, imagine where you'll be in 20 years. And, you know, I, I think we get this idea of this overwhelming portfolio or massive amounts of real estate, but really it's not a lot of steps to step into that passive income and to see the return and, and eventually flip like you, you said, Adam, where, you know, at some point the passive income becomes more valuable than the, the wage income. So, so when, and, and, and to that point, when you guys got started now, were you, you, you mentioned that you're doing multifamily real estate. Is that how you started? No, we started with single family flips rentals, wholesales, and a little bit of owner finance. And that that really carried us and helped us build up our cash. The flipping funded our rental property purchases, but it was never uh, as consistent as we wanted. I, I was doing yellow letters at the time. I was knocking on doors. And 
it always felt like a grind. We knew we wanted Adam to join me full time in real estate. And so we needed something that had more consistent income. So we had some colleagues that were investing in multifamily and they had invited us to come check it out. And for probably two years, we told them, no, no, thanks. We're doing our single family thing. But finally it was like, well, maybe we should go check out multifamily. And that was another three day educational experience that had another significant impact on our business. It literally changed the course of our business. And it showed us that multifamily is unique because it allows you to be the business owner instead of the landlord. And we were being the landlord. I was self-managing 11 rentals. I was doing all the leasing, managing all the maintenance. And I could have uh, leveraged that out, but we wanted work. cash flow. And so multifamily allowed us to, to really take a step back from interfacing with the tenants and be the business owner and, and manage it as more of a business, which we had experience with at GE, project management, um, more like business leadership. So it felt like a natural fit. We started that in 2017 and we haven't looked back since. Wow. Absolutely. One, on that note, one of the things that just popped in my mind is, you know, I think that one of the um, one of the one of the greatest inhibitors of making a step from the um, from a typical job into the entrepreneurial world is obviously fear is a, a ma- you know risk and fear is a massive massive question mark for everybody. You guys are a little bit unique in that you came in with some pretty some pretty hefty experience. I mean, you guys are both engineers. You both have a pretty deep, um, a pretty significant depth in your education. What would you What would you guys say to the the people that don't necessarily have those assets when it comes to real estate? You know, I I truly think that there's nothing wrong. Uh, with working in the field, uh, you know, I think your question's perfect when it comes up to, or when it comes to like capital. Everybody thinks that real estate's capitally intensive too, right? It's like, hey, I don't have experience. I, you know, I don't have that much money, but um, you know, I think if folks are willing to work in the field in a capacity that gets them in the network, in in the industry, experience it however they can. Uh, I, I think that's that's golden. I, I, you know, I, we meet a lot of younger folks that want to get into multifamily, and multifamily, depending on how you approach it, can be capitally intensive. But uh, I've seen people join uh, brokerages as associates or as uh, you know, you know analysts, analysts, agents, um, property management. I mean, you know, we hired a uh, an asset manager. Um, uh, kind of like a regional director for our portfolio last year, and that individual decided to work in property management bef- as a way to get into the industry. What better way to experience the, the world of multifamily than like on the ground level, you know, working with residents and working with owners? And um, so, yeah, that's what I, I usually tell folks: is hey, you know. You don't have to. You don't have to be looking at things right here. Like I want to make an investment and get rich next year. It's hey, let's beef up the experience. Let's get into the industry in some capacity that I can learn and add value. And and I mean, it'll be noticed, right? 
it'll, it'll be noticed. You'll, you'll make a name for yourself. You'll gain that experience. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I'm curious, you know, uh, this is the banker uh, lights flashing in my mind. Obviously, you made the transition from the workforce into real estate. You started smaller and then worked your way up. Um, so, so maybe twofold question, you know, walk us through what you were feeling at that time. The classic, uh, you know, the risk, the maybe the excitement, um, but also maybe, you know, was there like, uh, you know, we are going to do this and we have no other options. Did you burn the bridges? Like, like what, you know, going on in that time, obviously, you know, we're able to talk and look and see how incredibly successful you guys have been today. But, you know, maybe somebody looking to start out and, and, and looking to make those first steps. What were you guys feeling? So there was, there was a little bit of fear. There was, um, you know, is this going to work out? What, you know, the, the thing that we had, we were fortunate because when we moved to Texas, you could afford to live on a single income. So Adam maintained an operations job, uh, working for a, a supplier to Lockheed Martin. And you could at that time in Texas, you could buy houses for $160,000, big houses. And so we were still able to buy a house. We were still able to fund the life we wanted, knowing that we wouldn't have to move back in with mom and dad if I failed. If So that was kind of in the back of my head. If, if this doesn't work out, I said, I'll just go get another engineering job. I'll go work at American Airlines. I'll go work at Lockheed. I'll go work somewhere else. And that that was always a nice backstop, but once you get the taste of entrepreneurship and building a business for yourself, like after my, it, it was really funny. My mom, uh, so in her eyes, I went from like an engineer to like a realtor, like down here. And so for a couple years, she asked me, she kept asking, are you going to go back to engineering? Are you going to go back and get another job? And I'm like, mom, no, I'm not going back to get another job. Like this is, this is our new business. And it was, you know, there was, there becomes a motivation and it, but it, it does, it gets hard to wake up and have to be self-motivated every day to say, what am I going to do today to find our next deal, to find our next flip house, to go find our next rental property, to get our rental property listed. And I actually, I, at the time, I, I did read some articles and books about like, how do I efficiently work from home? Because working from home was not something I'd ever done before. And so it was, it was an evolution, but after the first year or so, the fear subsided and it became an excitement of like, oh my gosh, we've done a couple flips, we've got a couple rentals, let's just keep this going. And, and this, you kind of, you, there was the excitement that we knew it was going to grow. Yeah. On, on that note, what, um, you mentioned the market, you know, just being drastically different, particularly in Texas today, as it was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, what advice would you guys give to someone who's not in a market like that. They're in today's market. The rates are high, the prices are high, inflation is high, cash flow is, is short. Um, and so I think the risk, you know, you guys found a, a, a way to mitigate your risk by ensuring, you know, an income to cover your, um, your expenses. 
But what would, what would you guys say to somebody that's in today's market? And it's like, this ain't the best. This is not the best moment um, for the market right now. What would you guys say to somebody that's, 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 that's uh, in that position? I think that it's definitely something to of concern, right? You have to be a smart business person at the end of the day, regardless of if it's a real estate investor or if you're running a car wash or whatever. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't absolve us from participating, mm. uh, and and by that I mean building relationships, going to networking events making sure people know that, hey, you know, my name's Adam, I'm a real estate investor, and even though I'm not super bullish on the market today, Tuesday, January 24th, um, I might be tomorrow, right? Or I might be next week, and I'm, and I'm making moves to get in a position so that when, you know, things are looking good and I can strike when the iron's hot. And uh, I'm actually helping a, a good, good friend of mine um, buy his first rental house. He's been wanting to buy real estate for a little while now, and uh, and and so those are the kind of the things we talk about. It's like, hey, you know, like Emily said, you know, wake up. What can I do today to even make six inches of progress? You know, maybe I meet a new real estate, a real estate investor friend. Maybe I go to a networking event. Um, you know, even though I may not make offers on a couple properties, I'm gonna at least go drive the neighborhood so I get that experience of seeing what the you know what the resident demographic looks like and stuff like that so that in July when things start to get better I there's no question I'm ready to hit the go button and I would say yeah it's right now I don't see the deals being on the MLS like they're not on the MLS like they used to be uh, and it just takes more effort on the investors standpoint to target the motivated sellers I, I, we still get so many, we get postcards, we get yellow letters. Um, I liked uh, driving for dollars, meaning you drive around the neighborhood you want to buy a house in and you look for the distressed house and you target that house. And I actually think the, like, they call it skip tracing, like trying to find that yeah. owner. The skip tracing yep. capabilities today are way better than they were back in 2013. Hmm. So I, I think, you know, having that targeted efforts, but the, the effort's got to be there. Like you're not going to say, I want to flip houses and then just go start tomorrow and find a great deal. It, it yeah. takes some time to build up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Would you say that it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty essential detail to success in, in, I mean, obvious, that's kind of an obvious statement of yes. Like you, in order to be successful, you've got to locate good deals. Um, something that, that Nick and I have even found to be extraordinarily challenging. I mean, we both work full time. We both have families. Um, and so I know that yours, your, your method is going to be a little bit specific to the real estate world. But I think that even for people, regardless of what they're, what you're doing, uh, like, like, like you guys said, if you're investing in car washes or you're, you know, purchasing businesses or whatever, whatever your entrepreneurial stream is, um, what are what are some of the ways? What are some of the creative ways that you guys have found to be most successful? Um, two part question. One, you know, what are some of the ways you found to be most successful to creatively find uh, good deals? And then the second part of that question is um, how 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 did you get led to those places? 
for us, and I look back and you're 100% right, that there are certain times in life as you're seeking success that you can pinpoint and say, hey, the decision to do that was, was a turning point or a milestone. For us, I think seeking out community, uh, you know, whether it's a investor network or a group of friends or, you know, the, the old adage, like you are the sum of the five people you hang out with or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like in, in, uh, in single family investing, uh, we, we found a community and it was a, a small group of people, maybe, you know, at one time it was five at other times it was 10 and we would always get together, you know, every, every week, every other week, a couple times a month, talk shop, learn. I mean, for Emily and I, uh, we were, we considered ourselves to be like in, in a room of people that we didn't deserve to be in a room with. Right. These are people who had, had like this podcast for me and Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and so to get to the heart of your question for us, it's been community The the people that, that we've been able to, to be with, and then in multifamily, uh, when, we, when we jumped over and started doing multifamily, we identified it to be even more of a kind of a good old boys, good old girls network. And so we decided to join an investing group that provided education and stuff like that. And, and again, now that I look back on it, it's like that was just an augmented form of community where, um, you know, the deals, it's not like, hey, you join the community and all of a sudden the deals are, are, you know, flying at you. But lo and behold, it's because of those communities that we learned how to seek out and find deals. And, and, and yes, people, you know, the relationships you build, good things do come your way. Yep. And you reciprocate to those folks as well, right? You send good things their way as well. So I think community has been mm-hmm. a big part of that. That's great. No, and I, 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 I agree. You know, one of the things that I keep hearing um, throughout the conversation is some threads, uh, community, hard work, networking, curious, you know, as you guys have been on your journey and really just jumped in, immersed yourself in this world, what are some habits or skills that you've either had to learn or picked up from other people who are really successful and you say, man, these are habits or skills that I, I want to uh, I want to incorporate or have incorporated or, or ultimately re- recognize that that's been a huge part of your success. So I think one of the, the habits that we do on a monthly basis that has contributed a lot to our success is just tracking our financials and our net worth. So we keep a... a profit and loss statement for our personal lives and our and our business and it all comes together in one one single profit and loss but then we also have our own balance sheet which tracks our assets and our liabilities and at the bottom is the net worth and knowing your net worth and know and being able to track it month over month year over year has been one of the most um, eye-opening things that at, now that we look back and we say, okay, here was our single-family journey. Here was our multi-family journey. We have a nut. We there could be another journey for the next five years. And you just watch that net worth graph grow and grow and grow. Um, mm-hmm. Going back to the financials, though, the financials has been we pull it out every time we make a huge financial decision. Whether it's okay, we we want to spend, we need. Uh, 
earnest money for this property or we want to buy this property, we would pull out the financials, our financials every, that we track every month and say, what's our cash position? How much money can we invest? How much money would that leave us? Is that enough for safety buffer? So having that open conversation between especially uh, spouses or partners and, and being on the same page with the financials, I think is the, one of the best skills that you can develop, as, especially with you and a, a partner. That's great. I'm, I'm curious, and I agree. I mean, the, the banker in me screaming amen, right? Because uh, I'm looking at P&Ls and balance sheets all day long. So curious how, how you guys, what you did to learn how to do that. I mean, sometimes people, I mean, a lot of folks have a hard time even just keeping up with a budget, let alone the thought of writing out and listing. Was there tools that you used with that? Was there things that helped you along that journey? Or is it something you guys, being engineers, you, you, you knew how to, you know your spreadsheets and your Excels well? <laughs> I, I mean, to be 100% honest with you, I used the same exact format that my father. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's same, awesome. Same file. I mean, it's not the same file, but it's like the same, you know. It's, it's a very simple Excel spreadsheet. Super easy. Yeah, it's, it's all, you know income rows and then your expense rows all the categories and then bottom line um, and then the balance sheet and the, the cool thing about the balance sheet is it becomes like a almost like a game you know it's like it's like okay I don't want to be you know you hear about all the you know t tough stories debt this and that people in massive debt I'm like man I'm we need and I've got all the liabilities in red I'm like we need to minimize our useless liabilities. Yep. I, I don't want to buy a car. I don't want a car payment. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, it becomes kind of like a game, like, you know, get your assets to outweigh your liabilities. Yeah. Now we do use mint.com to consolidate all of our spending. And I think that's a really um, easy, and, and there's a lot of different, you know, expense tracking options. Mint is just one of them, but it allows all the different credit cards, all the different bank accounts, where money, you know, we spend our expenses and it helps consolidate a, a list of like, okay, this, you know, this month we spent X on home, home, X on kids, X on groceries, yeah. shopping, all of those different line items. And that makes it easy to then put those numbers into our Excel spreadsheet every month. That's great. And let me ask you this, you know, you've explained that that's been a game changer and it's of course been great to watch that grow over the years. Why has that been so significant for you too? Well, uh, at the end of the day, if you can get your assets to be significantly larger than your liabilities, it just gives you more options from an investing perspective. Uh, and it gets you into more, I would say, going back to community, it gets you into more rooms with people that you don't feel, uh, you know, you, you feel underqualified, so to speak. And, you know, because these rooms, they have cost, right? You know, it, it, it's expensive to hang out with the right people. It's expensive to get into the right investments. And so, yeah, for us, uh, you know, going from, you know, watching the watching the balance sheet grow from from corporate life to single family investing, multifamily investing, and getting into other businesses, um, it just it gives you a lot more options. And I would That's say great. that, uh, in terms of like each year, you you have an idea of how much you're going to make, but what we really want to track is one our living our living expenses, 
and then how much are we going to invest this year? And mm -hmm. having that, the tracking and kind of knowing, you know, estimating how much we're going to bring in this year. For example, last year we invested 75% of what we made. Wow. So we knew that we could live on 25% and we could invest 75%. And that allowed us to make, be confident in making those investments and putting that money to work because we knew, yep. we knew I, I know I spend this much, I need this much to live. I need this much for groceries and home and everything. Um, and then every, almost everything else we reinvest because we are in the stage of life where we want to build up that snowball so that in, in five and 10 years from now, every year we have investments selling and um, being able to just build and compound each year. Yeah, that's cool. One of, one of the things you mentioned earlier um, is part of, the, part of the driving force for you, Emily, you mentioned just like you had this real, you've got this really significant memory of your, of your dad not being able to retire because the mark, his retirement was, was, it was strictly contingent on the success or the demise of the market. And because it wasn't doing well, he wasn't able to, um, as you guys have continued, I think that a lot of people, um, in, in your more traditional setting, uh, looks on at, at investors, real estate investors, in some cases, even entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurial minded people, and they broad brush, you know, as people that just want to get rich. And I'm curious for you guys, like, what, what is, what is the why behind what you guys are doing? I know the, the catalyst more so was you looked on and you're like, I know I don't want to do that. Um, and so now, like, why continue to try to get the snowball to be larger? Like, why not be content? Why not, uh, why not slow down and pull back on the reins? What, what is, what is sort of the purpose and the why? Um, and, and then also what, what, what do you guys look on and go, this is the goal? We, uh, and, and this, the answer here, this vision wasn't necessarily concrete the day that we got into real estate investing, but it has evolved. But we really see massive value in being able to live life on your own terms. And, mm. and, that's, and, that, and that's encompassing everything from, you know, philanthropy to spiritual to family and, and, and your time, you know, the most valuable thing, time. Uh, and for us, that has over over the course of several years, um, and I, you know maybe we didn't appreciate it as much at first, but now we've grown to really just appreciate that living life on your own terms, where no one else besides you and, and your spouse or your partner make decisions that affect your life, uh, you know that that just is very powerful, and and I think that's something we really really want to keep going. We we. It's a driving force for us. Yeah. So the goal in say ten years from now is I want to live completely on passive income. I want our passive income to fund our lives. I want to be just reinvesting the money that we're investing today is going to grow, 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 and I just want to keep reinvesting and being able to live off that money so that the rest of our the rest of our time can be spent doing, you know whatever work we want to be doing. Um, another yeah. lesson that my dad taught me at a very young age is he had me and my sister 
volunteering at a soup kitchen, the feeding the homeless people once a month. And so I was so little that I would have to stand on one of those huge spaghetti sauce cans, you know, like the really big ones from Costco. Yeah. I'd have to yeah. stand on one so I could reach the spoon to serve people's plates. That's awesome. And he, he ingrained in us a, um, a mentality of giving back, volunteering, and I, I still live that life in terms of I lead um, social outreach programs, um, we work with a lot of local organizations. Adam and I have been able to travel internationally on mission trips to uh, with with Chair the Love, a wheelchair organization. And wow. I can, Adam mentioned philanthropy, and this was actually a, a, a at a mastermind I was at last week. They they posed this question, and they said, "What do you want on your tombstone?" And and the word that just popped into my mind was philanthropist, because mm. the root of philanthropy is you have to be massively wealthy to be able to give away so much money and make such an impact. And that was really, uh, I, I came home and shared that with Adam and I was like, this is it. Like, this wow. is our goal. We, we want to make a lot of money so we can give a lot of money and, and still just fund our own, our own lives, but make an impact as well. That's such an incredible, um, just an incredible statement and an, an enjoy, uh, just a, a joy to hear. Like, yeah. because I think it destroys the stereotype that people that are entrepreneurs are just they're just about themselves. Like, they're so selfish that all they do is build a life that revolves around them. But the two things that you just said are two things that reign really true with me and Nick both. In that, you know, we we recognize that, man, if we could experience. Um, that, you know, that type of, those types of incomes, those types of increases, then there's two things that happen that you just pointed out. There's real freedom and there's liberty. Like there's an ability to live life in the way that you would like to. I think one of my kids is knocking on the door Um, in the background. um, There's there's liberty. And then, and then there's genuinely a realistic uh, platform to be able to give away. And so the very driving force on, on one side is like, to a degree, there's liberty. On the other side, there's a desire to be able to bless others and give away. And that's just, man, just commend you guys for uh, that type of a philosophy. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I, I love that concept. And, you know, we, we all know it's better to give than receive. And so the opportunity to have and when you're entrusted with more of the opportunity to to give back to others and so you know it's 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 great hearing your guys' story i got just a couple more questions to ask you um what advice would you give to people who are just starting out and would want to be where you guys are at down the road so we one of the things and this is a quote that our mentor says a lot that we read that resonates with us and it's take massive action mm. and it doesn't it, it you know whatever you want to get into only going 10% or 20% is not going to do it it takes massive action it takes reaching out to people that you don't think will answer your emails making the phone calls um, just doing things that that 90% of the other people sitting next to you wouldn't do. 
Mm. And I I really think that that, like taking action, looking back has been some of the pivotal points in our, in our business and our growth. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. No, I, I think that's huge. And I've, I've, I've seen that even just as a banker when I'm, when I'm making cold calls for the, to the business for the umpteenth time, and I'm sure the business owners are tired of hearing from me, but those are the opportunities that land meetings. And so similarly with real estate, you, you know, you said you were driving, you were cold calling, you were door knocking. I mean, those are, that's where opportunities happen and that's where things, you know, that's, that's where you, you, you grow tremendously from it. What, what are some ways you guys have learned in some of the failures? You know, so one of the, um, well, did you, I I talked last time. No, I, I mean, for, for us, learning from failures has been absolutely huge. I think there's a misconception that a uh, failure has to be like a total crash and burn um, scenario, and, and I think that's something that we create in our minds. We say, "Say, oh, you know, I'm afraid to try because I might fail," or you use the term "move back in with mom and dad," um, that kind of thing. Uh, and we're not really uh, aware that we do a lot of risk mitigation without knowing it, right? We we we, we study, we analyze, we overanalyze, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but for us, I think most of our learning has been through trial and error, uh, with different methods of marketing. Um, I think we, today we would still say that we're learning marketing, uh, in this, in this world of social media and and things of that nature. And, and, uh, and so we tried a lot, we tried to do a lot of that on our own, uh, where, you know, maybe we wanted to save money or maybe we wanted to, you know, try to learn how to do something that wasn't in our wheelhouse, but realize, hey, you know what, it's better to just make an investment, hire somebody, um, that kind of thing. And so for me, I think a lot of our learnings come through trial and error around like marketing and, uh, and, and trying to find deals. I know, Tyler, you mentioned earlier, hey, you know, an aspect of this business is trying to find deals. And I think we've tried a lot of methods probably only 15 or 20 percent has worked well um but looking back it's like you wouldn't really know what works and what doesn't work unless you you know try to knock on 200 doors one afternoon or you know spend a thousand dollars stuffing envelopes or you know Mm -hmm. yeah you you guys would would you be would you be comfortable sharing with us and maybe you haven't i mean some people they've just They've done really excellent risk mitigation, and they haven't. But would you would you mind sharing with with us and the guests maybe one of uh, one of your most significant failures, or if there was a breaking point where you were like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know, this might be the end." <laughs> um, you know, so we and part of the uh, apartment investing world, we invest passively, meaning we are silent investors in other people's deals as well. And that when we first got into apartment investing, we met all these people and shook a bunch of hands and got a lot of cards and we started having investing opportunities come in our inbox. And one of them, in they all look pretty, right? Every investment opportunity looks really good on a PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) So we, uh, we actually invested in the first three deals that came in our inbox 
because we were so excited to just get into apartment investing. And that was not the best choice. <laughs> that was a big lesson learned. Um, yeah. Because one of those deals, and we've invested in 17 apartment complexes passively, like other people's deals uh, up, up through now. And only one of them has done poorly. And it was one of those first three wow. that came in our inbox because the people were the wrong people to invest with. Wow. They, they didn't manage the property. They actually moved out of the country. Uh, they essentially just dropped the ball on all things mm -hmm. management and operations. And this was during a time period when the market was shooting up like 26, 2017 to 2019, 2020, 2021. Nothing that you bought in 2017 should have failed. Yeah. But this one did. And it was because of the people. And so when you are considering investing with others, I think making sure you vet the people, you know, you're going, you're, you're in a business marriage with them and getting to know them better more than just maybe a simple phone, more than just a, an exchange of business cards, more than just a phone call, ask for full track record, ask for referrals from other investors that have invested with them. Um, and really understand who you are putting your funds with, because that, that was one of the biggest lessons learned that we've ever experienced. And um, it's a mistake that we will never make again. Something that we say a lot is that you're, you're, we're better together. I mean, it's something that uh, me and Nick say often. I mean, it's, he, he sees things differently than I do. I see things differently than he's, he does. And not in a bad way, but just in a little bit more of a holistic way because there's two different perspectives. There's two different approaches. It ends up being a significant benefit to us. But that is, I think, a really significant fear of a lot of people. And I think that might be one of the, the main things that keeps people from stepping into any form of entrepreneurship or, 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 or you know, developing of a business or even in just like you're talking about, just passive investment is, is typically it involves other people. And so, you know, what, what are, um, you know, you listed a few ways to kind of vet people, but would you guys just speak to in your experience, you know, for our guests, like what, what were the emotions of your first partnership and you're stepping into business with people that you don't have five years of friendship or 15 years of, you know, direct firsthand experience of an individual's life. Um, you know, was that still necessary? And what were some of the benefits that you saw from just you guys saw from surrounding yourselves with other people and being willing to step into a partnership? Because it's it's all it's all on the up and up. it's kind of like one of those PowerPoint presentations. Everything looks great until you're starting to put a signature at the bottom of a line that binds you to an individual. Um, so what was y'all's experience? What were some of the benefits? What were some of the challenges? How'd you push past that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, our first multifamily partnership as general partners was based on a relationship that uh, was months old, right? It, you know, not necessarily years. And, and when you're talking about, uh, you know, the size of these deals, I think our first deal was 180 units. It was a, it was a large investment and, and we took a large sum of other 
investors' money to get the deal across the finish line. And, uh, and, and you really are, you're 100% correct. The success of the deal is on the shoulders of the people running the deal, which was us and our partner. And, um, you know, that uh, quite honestly was one of the um, just pieces. It was just uncomfortable at first. It's like, hey, we're getting into this. We, you know, it's our first time. This person's a lot more experienced. But we don't, you know, we don't quite know 100% how each other does business. We kind of know, you know, we've had a few meetings. We did some dinner dates with him and his wife and, and got to know each other. I would say we got to know each other as good, you know, as good yeah. as we could, right? It, we definitely put a lot of effort into it. But, um, you know, thankfully, it worked out extremely well. And, uh, and we were able to make the partnership work through not only one deal but a second deal. And, um, but you learn things, uh, as you go and you can't be, you can't be afraid to, to, I, I want to say not end the partnership, but you, 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 you can't be afraid to remain flexible, right? Um, mm -hmm. we no longer do business as partners with, with that individual anymore. And it's not because, um, you know, the friendship went sideways or the business marriage went sideways. We're actually extremely great friends with, with him and his wife. We, you know, we see them all the time, but it's just a, a you know, philosophy on, on business sometimes that things change and you have to remain flexible. That's the biggest learning through partnerships is you just need to remain flexible because uh, things happen outside your control. Things are going to happen with the partnership and the, and the properties or the business. <laughs> and um, yeah. That's great, and I, I think you're right. I think flexibility with business and uh, lessons for life as well. I mean, it, it's we all were told as kids, you are who you hang around, and so, you know, continuing to surround yourself with the right people, it, it always just, you know, it propels you forward, and and that's great. So, well, uh, before we end the episode here, we just want to jump into the golden nugget round. Uh, got two questions for you guys. Uh, so one, you know, here at Abundant Journey, we spend a lot of time focusing on the five F's of Abundant Journey. We've created it. Uh, we got family, finance, faith, fitness, and friendship. And so curious for, for you two, what, uh, what's one of the F's? that you're really focused on here in 2023 on improving for yourselves? So one, my big goal for this year, it kind of involves future and finance. Uh, we are starting a little more of strategic planning for the future. For example, we are setting up a family trust mm. to um, help with tax advantages in the future. Yep. We are, um, setting up a whole life insurance policy to also help with tax advantages for the future. So it's things, it's strategic planning today that will benefit us in 20 to 30 years from now. And this, I, and, and kind of going back to what we were all talking about community. Yep. These are methods that I have learned about by joining masterminds and being around people who are at that phase and saying, well, because I had my family trust or because I had my this uh, whole life policy or because I set my my platform up like this, I'm now able to pass my wealth along tax free or with with limited taxes. So. That is our strategic goal for 2023 is to really focus on um, 
wealth planning for the 20 to 30 years from now. That's so good. It's forward awesome. thinking mindset. That's awesome. Uh, last one. What's a quote or a book from a, a mentor or something that stuck with you along your journey? Don't be afraid to fail. Um, I, I, you know, and, and that sounds, it sounds cliche, but, uh, I'll be honest. It's as an entrepreneur, if you, if you're not struggling with it, you've come a long way, right? Because I think we're, we're raised in a society where failure is not a positive thing, right? Mm. We're raised in a society where accolades and, and good grades and getting the right job or having the right group of friends or, you know, impressing people is, is, is sought after. And we, mm. and, and, you know, society raises their kids that way. And, and it, it, you get to a point where you're just, you know, trying to please people and that's not the right way to live. Um, so in order to, you know, in, in order to be successful, I, I truly believe that you have to take risk to the point where you're willing to sacrifice something, you know, whether that's time, money, you know, th th things that uh, let's, you know, maybe not your highest priority, right? You're not going to sacrifice your family, not going to sacrifice things that are close to you. But at the same time, you know, you listen to people who have um, become successful and, and are living the life that they want to live on their terms. Um, a lot of those folks have parted ways with money to, to get the life they want, right? It's not all no. about that. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I know uh, I've heard it, you know, several of our mentors say that time and time again. Um, how have you failed today? You yeah, know? I love that one. I think that's incredible, man. I mean, you guys are incredible. Your story is incredible. That's one of the major driving forces of uh, if not the ma major driving force of even this podcast is just to create opportunities for other people to hear very real, very, very real people, very ordinary people um, that that have done really extraordinary things with little to no means. And it's, I think that's such a great, uh, a great last statement for the audience just to hear is don't be afraid to fail. It's going to happen and it's not always a terrible thing. It may be the very thing that forges uh, the foundation that proves to be successful. Um, and so that's one of the greatest, that's one of our greatest desires is just to see people liberated in their mindset, liberated in their approach um, to be, a, be able to go and, and, and be successful. So, so it's an excellent, excellent quote yeah. and I uh, appreciate you guys. That's a great word. Well, thank you for being on, you guys. Let me ask this in closing. How can folks get a hold of you guys or, or learn a little bit more about what you're doing? Our website is AE, as in Adam and Emily, AEMultifamily.com. Awesome. Adam, Emily, it's great to have you guys on. Thanks again. Uh, thank you, listeners, for jumping in today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Thanks Nick. Nick.